What's going on and welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Happy opening night, Pelicans fans. New Orleans will open up tonight inside the Smoothie King Center as they welcome in the Philadelphia 76ers. Can't believe we've made it here. And to talk about tonight's game and the outlook for the rest of the season, I'm joined by John DeShazer, who will be on the call tonight with Todd Graffinini on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. And of course, Jim Eichenhofer on pelicans.com guys everyone for the most part is zero and zero except for the two teams that lost last night and the two teams that won last night but a clean slate for everyone happy opening night jd you know you've been in saints mode for most of uh this regular season but i know it's gonna be feel good for you to get back in the booth tonight yeah opening night always brings that adrenaline with it i mean everybody has a chance to win a championship beginning tonight right so <laughs> you'll you know, kind of go into it with that enthusiasm you know Every team adds parts. Uh, you hope that you've improved your weaknesses. Uh, for this team, there was a coaching change. So all of those things work into it. The guys who are returning from last year, you hope they improved their games. So all of that works into it and gives you that enthusiasm that you always go into it saying, you know what, is this a playoff team? Is this a play-in team? You always have that optimism because it's opening night. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm sure a lot of people are this way you get to a point in the off season where, or even preseason training camp where you're like, okay, we've talked enough about everything. We want to see the games. We want to see some real um, stuff that counts. Preseason is, is great. But I mean, I think it was Ryan Anderson who said a few years ago when he was here, when people were questioning him and grilling him about his, his poor shooting in preseason, he was like, you guys aren't going to remember this a week or two from now. So I'm looking forward to kind of turning the page on preseason. Obviously for the Pelicans, it wasn't good from a results standpoint, but um, hopefully beginning tonight, they'll be able to um, again, make it so that no one really cares or remembers what happened in the first couple of weeks of October. Yeah. I think the good news is when you end your preseason on October 11th, you do have a ton of time to uh, kind of forget about what happened and move on to tonight. And the good news is for the Pelicans, obviously when you're missing Zion Williamson, that's something you don't want to do to start the season. But at the same time, the rest of your team is healthy and ready to go. So, uh, Jim, I'll start with you and then go to J.D. Uh, I feel like the rotations is kind of the biggest mystery here for Willie Green is he likes to keep that stuff close to the vest. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does, one with the starting lineup, and also who's going to play tonight, those 10 or 11 guys that he might throw in there for a tough matchup against the 76ers. Yeah, he, he's kind of half-jokingly been asked the last couple of days consecutively you know, hey, do you have your starting lineup? And he's said, I think he's going to, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket and save that. So you're right. I mean, this is, this is definitely one of the more interesting opening nights, I think, from that standpoint that we don't know exactly who the starting lineup is going to be. And even more in question is um, what guys are going to be in the rotation. Unfortunately, there will be, I think, probably two or three guys, maybe more than that, that fans are saying, maybe this guy should be in in the rotation that's not getting playing time. And man, we were excited to see this guy play, but he's not going to be in the top 10 or 11 players. Um, unfortunately, that's reality because you're, you can't play more than 10 guys. Um, Willie Green did say that he is going to narrow it down to 10. And I think he said maximum 11. So I, I am really interested to see how, how that plays out. And, uh, and it'll be something that, um, if the team doesn't get off to a good start, I'm sure just like in football, when there's, if the starting quarterback isn't playing well, everyone's clamoring for the backup quarterback, but, um, hopefully, you know, they can get off to a good start, which is something that they haven't done a lot in the last few years. It, it'll be interesting to see how he sorts through it because it's basically a chemistry experiment. 
He's got to find out who meshes well together and who links up well together. And, and I know fans don't want to hear this, but that takes time. I mean, it just does uh, because these guys haven't played together in an NBA game. So they're going to have to kind of figure that part out. And I guess just as interesting is early in the season, especially if there's a tight game, who finishes? You know, who's on the court at the end? Uh, because, you know, that will determine who he feels like he can trust and who he feels like he can execute, who can execute down the stretch. And then, of course, we get to start this all over again when Zion Winston comes back from injury and, you know, reintegrates him into the offense and see how that goes. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a chemistry experiment. It should be kind of fun to watch. I hope fans have the patience to, to be there along with it because it's going to have to be a process that's got to take place. He's just got to figure out which guys play best together. J.D., is the backcourt rotation kind of the biggest mystery right now for this team? Uh, everyone's been one trying to figure out whether Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to start alongside Devontae Graham. Do you stagger them? Who is the backup point guard off the bench? Who are you relying on? Is that kind of the biggest mystery right now is how Willie Green deals with who the guards are going to be heading into tonight? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a, you know, a problem, a good problem, a problem that the Pelicans have not had uh, because, you know, they just hadn't had the depth to where you had to even really consider it. But, you know, does Nikhil go out there with Devontae Graham? Uh, where does Sadoransky fit in? Uh, where does Kyra Lewis fit in? Because Kyra Lewis shows flashes and you wonder how he can, you know, kind of get in and whether he can use that speed and whether he can, you know, develop his teardrop and those kinds of things. So it'll be fun to kind of figure that out. And, and do you have a quote unquote lead guard? Do you need a lead guard uh, if you got Brandon Ingram out there and, and Zion Williamson? So, you know, all of those things kind of have to factor in, but it, it's a good problem to have. And so we'll see how he, how he shakes it out. Yeah. You know, um, JD brings up a lot of good points as far as um, it's going to take some time and there's going to be some difficulty in terms of, um, hopefully not too much difficulty, but in terms of finding chemistry and finding the right combination and lineups. Um, the one thing though, that I'm encouraged by from the amount of brief amount of time that I got to watch training camp and a little bit of preseason was, um, the, the, the two veteran guard additions to me are, are going to be invaluable because, um, Garrett Temple and, and Tomas Sadoransky, they've both been in so many different situations. I think, um, Tomas has played international ball too, where he's had to play with, um, different combinations of players and that maybe not had that much time to get ready for um, the Olympics or other competition that he's been in. Um, I think those guys being here is definitely going to help in terms of being able to adjust. And both of those guys, everyone that's watched them throughout their career has seen they're just steady, reliable, dependable players. So I think that will definitely aid Willie Green as he tries to figure out um, who's going to be on the court and what the rotations are going to be. Well, I think heading into tonight's game, it's safe to say that there are going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game for a game that's not nationally televised. It could be one of the more intriguing games just for what went down yesterday in Philadelphia. And one, we're not going to try to sort out their mess. Everyone's got their issues to deal with, and we got our own as well. But the fact that Ben Simmons was thrown out of practice, suspended for tonight's game, that was one of the big question marks of whether was he going to play? He was attending practice. Is he in shape, ready to go? If he does play, how is that going to affect you know, the, the Sixers as far as guys playing with him. So I feel like this was kind of something that could help Philadelphia going into tonight, knowing that that's kind of closure for them. And these are the guys that have been playing training camp all along. Jim, I'm start with you. How much that everyone's like, oh, Ben Sims is out. I'm not sure how that really affects this game just from the standpoint of this. These teams have been working together throughout the whole training camp. 
Yeah, it does make you wonder if it, it actually kind of motivates them even more that they want to prove that the guys that they have there are good enough to win. I mean, when you have a player who basically says, I don't want to play with you guys in a team sport, I, I could see how that would make people angry and it maybe would drive them even more to, to say, you know, we don't need you, Ben Simmons. So, I mean, kind of one side note, I'm, I'm disappointed that he's not playing tonight, partly because I was hoping that there'd be a moment where he was at the free throw line, he got fouled and he like pulled out his cell phone to take a call <laughs> while, while he was at 15 feet from the basket. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think that uh, they've spent all this time preparing for the season without him. So I don't know if it's really going it, to, in some ways it might've been more disruptive if all of a sudden they were like, okay, Ben Simmons, you're back in the lineup and now you're out on the court. And then they'd have to figure out like, do we start him? How many minutes do we play him? He's not in shape. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a, necessarily a negative short term for them. Yeah, he could have had a Joe Horn moment where he just pulled out his, his cell phone. <laughs> Man, I, I, I can't lie. I was kind of hoping he was going to play because I – this might sound silly. I just think they were a weaker team with him because if you got a guy on the floor who's terrified to shoot and terrified to go to the free throw line, that makes them a lesser team. Yeah. And now they kind of go out there and everybody's got defined roles. You don't have to worry about him being on the post – uh, you know, hogging up that space where Embiid would be working. So that gives Embiid even more. I was kind of hoping he was going to play, to be honest with you, uh, because I think they're a stronger team maybe without him, especially when you got Embiid and you can spread those shooters around him. Well, I was going to ask you, J.D., this is the team that was the number one seed last year. Without Ben Simmons, you still have guys like Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry. You have tons of shooters. What does this team look like as far as the challenges that will present themselves to the Pelicans tonight when facing this really good Sixers squad? Yeah, um, well, we know what Embiid can do. And even though he had a poor game against the Pelicans once last year, he came back, obviously, and, and made up for that with a 37-point game. But Tobias Harris is, is a guy who presents a lot of problems, a lot of issues, uh, because he can score from wherever on the court. So he gives you a lot of issues. Maxi gives you a lot of issues. Uh, let's not forget Seth Curry, who was one of the best shooters in the NBA. Uh, so they've got a lot of people who can who can hurt you. And then Bible, who doesn't score, but can disrupt the game so much defensively for them, you know, he, he adds that, that element too. So I just think they're a really good team with or without Ben Simmons. And I mean, Ben Simmons is an all-star, but with or without him, I think they're a really good team. And especially if they're going to center around the things that Embiid does well, because, you know, Embiid can elevate guys. And, and Tobias Harris, again, is, is an all-star level player. He'll probably be an all-star this year. Because once you start seeing a guy has been snubbed for three or four years, they just kind of automatically put him in, but he's been that caliber of player anyway. So I just think they're a really good team as, as, as they are. I think one of the things that from a big picture standpoint that everyone always needs to think about and remember about the Sixers too, is that as great of a player as Embiid is, and he was right there for MVP last year, he misses a lot of games, but yet the Sixers are winning 50 plus games every year. And I think one of the most impressive things about them from a wide perspective is just that they are always competitive, even when he's not on the court. So, I mean, that, that just shows you, I mean, JD just talked about all of the very good players they have. They also have one of the best coaches in the league, I think in doc rivers. So um, that's, that's something that you always have to be concerned about. I, I talked about this on Monday, like regardless of the situation that they have um, even if Embiid wasn't playing, I still think that they're a team that you have to really respect because they have a lot of guys that are above average starters and a, and very good role players that they're going to be competitive no matter what combination they have. 
let's focus back on the Pelicans here as, you know, of course they try to get back into the playoffs. I think obviously that is the main goal for this team, how far they go. That will depend on the Western conference, which we'll get to in just a second, but looking at kind of what they can improve on Jim and what holes were maybe filled this off season with some of those improvements, where, where do those kind of combine for each other? Where do those kind of match up when it looks at what David Ro- David Griffin and Trajan Lane put together compared to what was needed as far as things that the Pelicans struggled with last season? I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't start with defense as the biggest thing that people ha- should focus on. Um, the Pelicans were 23rd in defensive efficiency last season. The one positive sign on that, though, was they did get better in the second half of the year when you started to have some different guys that got on the court more. Uh, Najee Marshall was one of them. There's a bunch of other players that I could reference that played more in the second half than they did early in the year. Um, obviously they changed the defensive scheme a little bit too, that, that helped quite a bit. So um, I think that's one of the biggest things to watch this year is can they jump up out of the bottom 10 in defense? That's been a problem for a few years really now where um, defense has hurt them. Um, the three point shooting, I think was, was near the bottom of the league as well. Last year, you hope with some of the pickups, Devontae Graham, I know people say like maybe his three-point percentage isn't necessarily a ton higher than the guys that were here, but his volume is so high that I think that is going to bump up the percentage. And he he hasn't been able, he hasn't played with Zion and Brandon Ingram in the past either. So I think that's going to help him. He's a very good three-point shooter, but he might be able to take that even to a higher level. And uh, last thing, I mean, there's other stuff that I could get into, but um, free throw shooting is something that I wrote about earlier in the offseason that they added the veteran guys that they added are all good free throw shooters. And Daniel and I, we know from listening to the post-game show callers the last couple of years that we try to, we try to tell people like, okay, you know, don't, don't be concerned about the free throw shooting. But there were times last year where it was impossible to talk people down. And there was times where you needed to talk me down too, yeah. from the, the ups, how upset I was about the free throw shooting. So um, I think there's a lot of small things that could add up to, in particular, them being better in close games. And I don't want to go back through the list of close games that were excruciating last year, but we all know, I mean, the margin was so small last year between being a team that was on the outside of the playing, you know, field and, and maybe a team that could have been in with you, if you change the outcome of a few games. So that's one of the big things I'm looking at is just, if you make incremental improvements in a bunch of different areas, you'll have a lot better chance to extend the season past game 82. J.D., what was your – out of those things that J- Jim mentioned, I think was the main one you're trying to focus on right now, whether it is the defense, whether it's the three-point shooting, or maybe they both go hand-in-hand hand, um, depending on the situation. But what's kind of the big thing that you want to see improved upon uh, the start of the season? I think the three-point shooting, because the disparity between the Pelicans there and their opponents was so vast. It was so big that you got to be able to close that gap some. You can't have, you know, random opponents – uh, having franchise records and made threes against you fairly routinely and you not be able to close that gap. So, you know, with Devontae Graham, with Trey Murphy, the third, hopefully, you know, he can, he can, you know, jump in as a rookie and contribute from there. Uh, but yeah, this team needs to be a better three point shooting team and they need to defend the three better. And, and we've seen this team looks like it, it will defend better. I mean, I don't know how much Kyra Lewis is going to play. I don't know how much Herb Jones is going to play. I don't know how much Najee Marshall is going to play. But those three guys hound people on the perimeter. They don't, they don't let you breathe a lot out there. And that can contribute to being a better three-point defensive team. Uh, but they've got to narrow that margin, I think, uh, significantly from last year. 
and that'll put them in position to probably win some more games. I, I think defense on the ball needs to be a huge improvement too. I mean, in, in terms of improving the, the three-point defense, and like J.D. just said, I mean, there was a stretch where I think it was Dallas and Chicago in consecutive games made 25 threes. The Pelicans guards have to get a lot better at stopping yeah. the ball because if you let the first wave of penetration happen and then there's a guy that has to help and then somebody else has to help, eventually you just can't have enough help side defense to be able to um, get in the faces of some of these guys that are shooting wide open threes. So I do, I am encouraged by the possibility that they could be better in the backcourt. And I think that will make a huge difference if they can just be a lot tighter and a lot stingier as far as not letting other guards break down the defense, getting into the paint and just kicking out for threes. All solid points by both of you. One more question for you all, as I know we are getting ready for a big night tonight inside the Smoothie King Center. And, and Jamie talked about this team being a fringe playoff team last year, trying to get into that play-in scenario. And I think obviously that would be the number one goal for this team is to play in, but also being one through six would certainly help as far as avoiding that. But I think you have to take little steps, baby steps first in order to accomplish that. How does the Western Conference stack up for you all? Because I know that's been the biggest obstacle is there's so many teams getting better in the West. You have the main teams that are already there between the, I'm not going to go through all of them, but the LA teams, Utah, Denver, I know I'm missing some uh, <coughs> even right now, golden state who had a big win last night over the Lakers, the Portland's of the world, um, the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, you can go on and even teams that maybe kind of creeping up where the Pelicans were last year, the Minnesota Timberwolves, a lot of people are talking about maybe they're a team that could be on the rise. So it may be hard to say where this team stacks up right now without a full complement of players. When that one player you're missing averaged 27 points, eight rebounds and 62% shooting last year. But how difficult is it going to be for the Pelicans to, to get over that hump and get in the playoffs just based on how the West looks. I'll start with JD and then I'll wrap things up with Jim. Well, that, well, that's the thing. And that's why we talk about improvement because you can't depend on somebody coming back to you. You might have to go get somebody. So how much have the, have, have the Pelicans improved? be able to go get you know some of those teams in the play-in to maybe go get a playoff team because you know every year we say well this might be the year that Portland slides back and they don't you know it, it doesn't look like Denver's going anywhere anytime soon those teams look solid for the next several years so who can the Pelicans go and get because I don't you know I don't depend on somebody you know getting injured or getting old or whatever and coming back to you and and I think they can but those things that Jim mentioned, where they've got to incrementally improve with, with the free throw shooting and the three-point shooting and the three-point defense and the overall defense, all those things have to get better. And I don't think that's asking a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at the West overall, there's really only a couple teams that I think it's been reasonable that there's a pretty wide consensus that they aren't kind of competing right now. Um People talk about Oklahoma City and Houston as two teams that are exceptionally young and maybe they're not focused on, you know, trying to get into the play in or at least it's not an imperative thing for them. But the other 13 teams, I think everybody thinks that they have a chance or it's something that's somewhere in their mind. So I think that's one of the things that's going to make the West really interesting this year is that there's so many teams that are that are vying for that. Um, Daniel, you mentioned a lot of the teams that you would probably people would slot maybe in the first seven or eight spots in the West um, as teams that are probably locks, at least like their worst case scenario is 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 uh, getting in in the play in. Um, but I think there's teams like Minnesota, uh, Sacramento, the Spurs that are kind of 
in the same level as the Pelicans in terms of, you know, if, if things break right, you think that they're, they're de definitely going to be in the play in um, competition. So, um, but the West is always tough. Um, I, I am curious to see, you, you know, where the Pelicans fit in, in the whole picture. But um, I think right now I'm, it's just too early to say, I mean, I, I, I'm really interested to see the first couple of weeks of the season to see how some of these teams fit in terms of what their expectations are and what they actually are going to be able to put on the court. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously with this team haven't played a game yet in other teams, you don't know everyone's situation, what could happen. I mean, these Minnesota games this week over the weekend could impact the situation later on down the road. We just don't know if that's going to be the case, but other I think the big thing that we can all agree on is getting off to a good start. It's certainly important for the scene, no matter if Zion's not on the floor or if he is on the floor, I think just kind of keeping their head above water and not digging themselves in a hole. That's been a problem with this team the last few years. So hopefully that cannot be a problem uh, for this season as the Pelicans will tip off tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers full hour worth of programming on both sides on Valley sports, New Orleans, Aaron Hardigan, and David Wesley will tip things off at 6 o'clock. Then it's Joel Myers, Antonio Daniels, and Jen Hale. On the radio side, we'll have Pelicans Weekly starting at 6 o'clock. Todd Graffney talked with the new voice of the Sixers, Kate Scott, one of two female play-by-play -play announcers this year in the NBA. And then I'll kick things off with Pelicans Warm Up at 6.30. Then it's Todd, John, the Shazer, and Aaron Summers on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. And we welcome the entire Pelicans Radio Network starting with tonight's ball game. Of course, you can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. He'll have shoot around update, post game recap, and he'll join me in the studio after as well on the radio for Pelicans OT. Guys, I really appreciate it. Of course, this is always a fun night. Um, the matter of the result, a new season is upon us. The grind begins now, um, but it's also a fun grind as we get to cover a basketball team and for JD, a basketball and a football team for a living. I really appreciate the time. I'll see you all a shoot around here in just a few moments, and uh, we'll talk to you all tonight. Thanks. Looking forward to it. All Thanks, right. Let's for go. John the, let's go. For John the Shazer and Jim Eikenoff, I'm being Osiris, and Mark Spears will join us on the show on Friday. We're hopefully talking about a Pelicans win over the Sixers. And until then, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to today's edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.